You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface to look at the seismic shifts that are changing everything in the music industry. I'm Dimitri Vitsa. I'm your host. I am the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music and tech PR firm. And I am so excited because I have a friend from probably 20 years back with me, uh, National Public Radio's All Songs Considered Tiny Desk Concerts, Bob Boylan is with me. How are you, Bob? I'm well. I, I think it may be even longer than 20 years. I think so. Yeah. Back in the days when I directed All Things Considered and you pitched me music and it was good. And before I started Rock, Paper, Scissors even. Wow. So we're in our 20th yeah. year. So you're right. It's, wow. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great and um you know it was obvious from the early days uh you know that you were thinking so much about the musical choices that you were putting into the show and, and now you've these are the music pieces in between the stories of all things considered and then doing music features on all things oh, considered yeah. back then yeah you helped a lot of our artists along the way <laughs> they were good yeah so we are at the diy musician conference in austin and uh you did a, a, a uh, I was going to say a panel. It wasn't really a panel. We did a fireside chat, and then you brought some artists on stage, played their music, and talked to them, which was fun. Got about 125 submissions of songs, and then picked ones that struck me. And uh, we talked about why, and uh, amazing artists. So this is kind of crazy, because you and I haven't ever really talked about music technology directly. But in a way, you preceded all this streaming explosion, playlisting, all these things just purely through radio and then podcasting and podcasting people thought died <laughs> but you guys were growing all along even while other people were, were like oh yeah when's podcasting gonna happen and now everyone's talking about podcasting i mean all songs considered began 20 years ago it was a multimedia music show we did s pictures of the artists their instruments words text that would come up as i spoke and talked about the music and the music would play i mean it was insane it would take months to like it took a month to build every show wow after the first year of doing multimedia shows and people with dial-up connections that were about 14.4 bods if anyone remembers that word uh we just ditched that and then started going weekly as an audio only show uh and preceding podcasts we were an online music show npr's first and uh and then 2005 was a first original podcast for NPR. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, now podcasting is a thing, you know? There's companies getting bought by uh, larger companies, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, former NPR folks building these companies and selling them. And, and also, interestingly, this, um, this merging of podcast with music is now um, a seismic shift in the industry because as the the digital streaming platforms are trying to figure out how to sustain with the high expense of licensing music. I think they realized they could balance partially balance the expense of that by having spoken word that doesn't have to be licensed in the same way music does that, that doesn't have as large companies that are pushing it. You guys have always just put music in and dealt with the licensing. Well, in fact, we used to, I, I can remember having shouting matches on the phone when, you know, a record label would say, no, I'm sorry, you can only play 30 seconds of that uh, Bach cantata. I said, I am not only playing 30 seconds. That is ridiculous. You, We need to give the audience uh, music. And so we would reach out. This is back in, you know, 2000 and 
whatever and 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 get permission for every song we played uh because i wasn't going to short trip the artist and play one minute of their song that's just that was crazy so it's funny right a lot of ground right as we're talking about this youtube is talking about um changing the length of time that they're willing to have claims against monetization on the YouTube platform to fewer and fewer seconds uh, or more seconds really is what it is. So there's like little snippets. Sometimes it's background music on a YouTube video or something like that. And the rights holder will say, Hey, your music is in our music is in the video. So we need to, you know, we can claim it and so forth. So this, this dynamic of how to use music in these new spaces continues to still be getting resolved in the marketplace, which wow. is kind of crazy. Didn't know about that. Yeah, no, it's, it's wild. So, so, um, I, this is kind of funny cause you've been doing this for so long and I kind of know a little bit about your process for even just listening to music, mm-hmm. but what's, what, what's your listening platform of choice? Uh, I use iTunes, still use iTunes. Um, I have a system that really works for me. And so what I, I like listening blindly to music when I can, and that means not knowing who I'm listening to. So I don't get like oh, I love this artist in the past and I start with a bias. I'd, of course, you can't do that all the time. You get a pitch and you read, oh, new Sylvanesso record. Oh, I'm going to listen to Sylvanesso. Of course, that's not going to be blindly. But I'll get a bunch of stuff that looks interesting in my email. I'll download it and just put it in a playlist, which is my current you know, new playlist, and then get in the car and drive or cook or you know, just as a listener listening to music, that kind of... Like, is it going to grab my attention if I don't have 100% attention on it? And if it does, then I spend more time with it. And as I'm driving, um, I will say to um, um, Shlomo or Siri, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) I'll say, hey, Shlomo, um, rate this song three stars, rate this song four stars. One of the reasons I've not gone and jumped to the other platform, the Spotify and so forth, well, A, I have so much invested in the rating of my songs over oh, wow. 2000, what, two, three was iTunes? So I have all this history of songs that are rated, so I have four and five star playlists and all that stuff. Uh, but I can have this system of star rating my songs, and that really helps me. Because uh, it's immediate. It's like, and I can just say it, do it, keep doing what I'm doing. I'm cooking. I'm saying, hey, Shlomo, rate this song three stars. Hey, Shlomo, rate this song five. And that way, uh, when it comes time to like think about, okay, what am I going to put on my show? All I do is I look at my current playlist, I sort by star ratings, and then I go back and listen to those higher rated things. And it really works for me. That is wild. Have you met anyone else who does it the same way? Um, I know that a couple of folks at, at NPR uh, do star ratings, but I don't think as intensely and, and as habitual as I do. Do you know how many songs you've rated? Do you have the library? I, if I had my computer in front of me, I could tell you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's probably sixty or 70,000 songs in the library. There's probably 20,000 rated. I don't know. Holy cow. Somebody probably wants access to those ratings. Then I get it. <laughs> it's a nice other thing is that it's personal and it's yeah. kept for myself. And, and things change over time, too. What happens when people send you a SoundCloud, a YouTube, a Spotify? And I really don't like those things, and I generally ask for a download. Um, what I often do with a SoundCloud uh, is, is I'll go and listen, and if it's something that piques my interest after a minute, 
I'll then ask for the download because I really want to spend more time with it. I don't find, for me, like SoundCloud is very useful in terms of like my the way I work. I'm sitting at a laptop and then in comes a SoundCloud. And then as I'm listening to SoundCloud, then all of a sudden I get another email. So I go there and then it's just, and then there's no way for me to remember what I've listened to easily because I'm not in that SoundCloud universe. Like I don't make playlists out of SoundCloud things and and oftentimes the soundcloud things i get a private and you there's you limited things you can then do with them so you will you not even you won't even stream it or you'll stream enough to say give me the download i'll stream a minute or two of it to know whether i care to spend more time with it and but, if it, but if they send you a download you'll just load it in without even listening it depends you, we get lots of downloads i will click if i don't know the artist at all uh, i'll first quote unquote judge uh whether i want to spend time with it by often the artwork, the titling, uh, song titles, like Baby I Love You is not gonna be a title that it's gonna grab my attention, but You Walk the Moon or something, I don't mean making all this up, but something that it feels like an adventure in some way, shape, or form, where the titles look like there's imagination in them and the artwork looks like it has some uh, sense of feeling or connection that works with the band name and all that stuff is how I start to decide I'm not a big reader I'm sorry to say and you know this of reading press releases uh, I don't do that until I've fallen for the music for the most part I might read a sentence or two but yeah. a subject line a subject line <laughs> yes I do do that <laughs> wow and so have you played with the 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 newfangled streaming services or, or have, uh, have you, I mean I you have a it? playlist on Spotify now that uh, I put every week I add a couple of two three songs to I do that with Apple Music it's the same playlist in both places I don't need I'm, I'm different I don't need a, and I mean that in that I get enough music for a lifetime in a week right so I don't need another place to find and discover music that's just not what I need I get by going out to shows all the time and seeing opening acts and and the um, quantity of music I get, that's fine. I don't like reading other press. I don't like reading other critics. I don't do any of that stuff. I simply judge music based on what I hear and how I feel about it. Uh, so I don't feel like I'm following the pack. So like if everybody's covering Record X, I don't care. And, and I don't mean that in a way that is dismissive of what they are doing. Let them do that. But I don't want to be swayed by it. I only want to be swayed by the music. Mm -hmm. That's what matters to yeah. me. I'm curious if you have any reactions, thoughts to at least what you're perceiving around you as it relates to this playlist phenomenon, the algorithm or the or the user generated playlist or the editorial playlist, because it's changing listening experiences. Yeah. And I'm curious if it I know it's not changing your listening habits yourself, but you're you're dealing with an entire industry <laughs> that's it's, that's it's competing that, that with I'm, that. Yeah. Uh, some, somewhat uh, ignorant of. I, I, I really love the idea that uh, that somebody you trust curates a list and that works. I am less curious about an algorithm that does it. And it's not to say, the good thing about the algorithm on the bright side is that unknown people will get heard because of some algorithm. I, I, that's, I, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Nothing against that. Um, I think what it does and why I don't like it is I think it puts people in boxes and they get music that is, oh, you like this, you're gonna like that. 
that gets similar music and and you don't break out of your box. So you're not going to get a free jazz piece of music, or you're not going to get, you know, some piece of music that may stretch your boundaries. I don't think you get that out of that. But I'm also not someone who spent a great deal of time with it. But that's that's the essence of what I see when I see in iTunes, for example, where it says for you, and I see what it's giving for me, and it's not it's not straying from a certain like more more often than not I'm getting rock based stuff that I'm listening to uh, and it's not giving me anything outside of that box and I one of the blessings and beauties of tiny desk concerts that uh, happen at my desk for those who don't know what I do uh, is that uh, it's not genre specific and people love the series and then they watch stuff that is outside of their zone and they may learn of something that they never would have seen you know, some Colombian jazz harpist that they never would have ever thought, and then they go down another road. That was the beauty of DJs when I grew up, and and D- DJs on the radio who brought their records into the uh, into the radio station and played what they were passionate about, and that's how I learned a, a good deal of the music I fell in love with, and you know, would never have heard Ornette Coleman if it wasn't some crazy DJ, you know. It sounds like a little bit of what you're saying is that that knowing, not just knowing the human, but you are aware there's a human that has some sort of vision or voice or aesthetic or curatorial oomph of some sort, and you can feel it inserted into how this is come out of the music's getting selected and put together. Right, and why not do that? And why not find trusted sources of people to do that? I'm not saying don't listen to playlists and algorithms, but I'm just saying there's there's something that's missing there in general from the little bit. You you, you experience this more, so am I right in what I'm saying? Because you would know better than I <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I find that different people have different preferences. I mean, the advantage of the playlist experience, whether it's human-created or algorithm, I think for the people that really lean into it is that it, they don't have to lean into it as much as finding a DJ tuning in when they're on mm-hmm. or, right. you know, seeking out certain humans. Humans are, they go to sleep, so half the day they're not available to give you music. Yeah. They're, you know, there's technological barriers to get the information out of somebody's head and into your ear sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think there's this kind of efficiency and convenience of 24 7. Um, you know, just the idea that you can pull up what you want when you want it with minimal effort is changing listening habits too. It's very different from a well, podcast. I think that's beautiful. And, I, and we, we'll get an intern at All Songs Considered NPR, and they will have the, a breadth of knowledge uh, that is wonderful because they have access. Somebody mentions Ornette Coleman, and they go, I don't know Ornette Coleman. Tap, 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 listening to Ornette Coleman. So... There's a beauty in this whole new world that I think is amazing. If I wanted to listen to Ornette Coleman, I had to go to a friend's house who had it or risk four ninety nine uh, on a, on an album, and which was beautiful too because when you put out money that you earn, you feel a lot more of a commitment to it and a, and a commitment to dive into it and learn more. So there's that missing too, and I'm not being grandpa saying, "Oh man, the old days were better." I'm just saying there were different things about. Yeah. Now you have access, uh, but before you had, when you plop down money, you were then going to listen to that record a lot more because of your. Well, then you day. also have the tactile experience of oh, it, which, yeah. 
you know, um, I think, you know, one of the reasons we, we've been seeing this vinyl growth and resurgence is because people want to go back to that physical real world connection, not this imagination virtual. I know there's music recorded somewhere. Right. Right. But I don't want to lose the convenience that I now have. Yeah. I love the convenience. And I, I mean, granted, I like sitting down with a, a record with liner notes and artwork and feeling the whole experience, but that isn't the world that is ever coming back again. Right. Although I don't understand why, and maybe Mr. Tectonics can help me, why there's not a connection between digital music and hitting a button and seeing who's playing on the song. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, if you, anybody has an Apple TV knows it, you know, or, or, or SoundCloud or, uh, or any of the other services where you hold up your phone, well, let me uh, be clear. Shazam. Yeah, Shazam. So now Sound, you... Soundhound, you know, yeah. Soundhound. A song comes on, and you can actually watch the lyrics play as a song goes. Apple TV just started that as well. So that's cool. But why not have uh, another button that says, oh, who's playing on the record? Let me click that drummer. I want to hear more songs by that drummer. I don't understand. I know Apple tried something like that a while back i'm sure other companies have why is that not succeeding the the reason it's not there yet and there are companies that do this grace note rovi tivo are companies that aggregate lots of data and then uh, different platforms and telecom companies will uh license the the data it's really hard to maintain that much data and the 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 method i can't believe that i can tap and search anything on the web about the most obscure thing on the planet and it's but that's not necessarily official or verified information so somebody has to vet the information and then also sometimes people need to be paid if they've written the information and so you've got all that stuff so it's not that it hasn't happened um it's just what's happening now is we're getting forty thousand tracks a day put onto spotify that's insane it's insane. <laughs> and they're coming from more diverse sources. Traditionally, there were fewer sources that, um, you know, could kind of bottleneck it a little bit so that there's some quality control. And I'm not saying, per, you know, totally independent stuff that doesn't have a major label or an indie label or whatever is not lower, it, it is inherently lower quality. But you have a lot of different standards and expectations about what data goes mm-hmm. along with the music. So I'd almost that than nothing, which is what I have now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm surprised that. And then there was somebody at the conference, and the name of the company I can't remember what. Jaxta. Say it again. Jaxta. J A X S T A. We just did an interview with her as well. We'll post around the same time as this. Good. I want to hear it because Jaxta seems to be uh, a company interested in trying to get "quote unquote" liner note quality, accurate information about stuff digitally uh, into. I don't know what system. I don't know. Well, the way, again, it's like you're saying, it's like going to be a massive database. They've already got lots of data feeds in there from majors and CD Baby and other, you know, big companies, publishers and things like that, and aggregating it all in the right places so that Mm -hmm. they're in the right fields and they're correct and so forth. But in addition to that, there'll be this credit aspect so you can see who a producer was, a bass player which may be even at a deeper level than anything else you can get online and click on it like an IMDB and then go see the rest of their catalog. Well, that's what I want out of you name it. If yeah. your Spotify is your thing or, or Apple, Apple music, music is your thing, yeah. I want to be able to do that while I'm listening to the music. I don't want to go as in and go you search. Go now to Wiki or whatever, Wikipedia or whatever to go find that. So yeah. I hope it gets integrated. And So that. 
um, jaxta.com. You can go and search stuff right now. I'm but, do that. But there's the, the thing that they'll be rolling out, I think she said next year, will be an API for streaming services to license this data and integrate it. So some of them have played with some different features, lyrics and so forth, but she's trying to get an even more robust experience. And I mean, I think then it's going to be harder to, to not get into those streaming services. Once the audio and all that linked data is all there, it's going to be hard to resist that because that's going to be like a sort of magic crate digging, digging like never before. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So, yeah, I'm curious, are there any other, tools you use you just mentioned shazam and soundhound is that a kind of thing that you use when you're out somewhere or <laughs> it's funny if you look at my uh, soundhound's the one that i downloaded absolute ages ago so i still use it if you look at the list they're often a list of songs that i absolutely can't stand when i'm out and about and i just want to know what it is <laughs> so that's what it is I, I i know pop music almost zero when it comes to pop music and i hear like i'm in a grocery store and it's like oh my god who is that this is awful and then I'll find, you know, so you Spears a, or whatever. So a that's song a, to put with the name. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's it's a validation. Yes, I'm glad I haven't listened to pop music in 25, 30 years. I'm happy because this is really awful. So that, that's what I mainly use those that services for. That is another unexpected use of music technology <laughs> to use SoundHound to put things on your shit list. <laughs> exactly, yeah. What else? Are there any other apps you use in this process of music ingestion, curation, discovery, or is it more on the creation side with podcasting and? Um, I mean, I I edit every podcast, so I use um, these days Pro Tools to do my editing, uh, Isotope plugins to help with P pops and um, noise reduction and so forth. Um, I'm also a musician, so I use Logic and lots and lots of technology there to make music. Uh, native instruments plugins i don't know we're, we're not going to go down that road or we can but you, you might but only uh, only if you have like hey guys here i just found this cool thing that everyone should check out um let's think about and, that and we've got a diverse audience so some of them will be music makers and well some if anybody who works in the field of uh sound that needs noise reduction those isotope plugs and plugins the rx7 plugins are just astonishing what they can do. I was, uh, I, I'm working on a, actually just finished before I came here the day before I came here, something I've never done before, which is I made a covers record, a record. Uh, I took some of my favorite tunes of all time, deep in my heart, and made ambient electronic versions of them. Oh, wow. So I made a version of Heroes, and I made a version of, uh, you know, Love is the Drug, and I made a version of uh, will you still love me tomorrow? And they're all like ambient electronic renditions of these songs. And one of the things I tried to do was I, I was trying to do a version of Woodstock. It didn't work out. I wound up ditching it. But I, uh, there's a plugin that are, that is in the RX-7 series that will let you take a piece of music. So I took Woodstock by Joni Mitchell, who wrote the song and took her version of it, and you can eliminate all of the instruments and then just have the voice of Joni. Mm. And then I could take that and throw it in a program called Melodyne that will take just the voice and turn them into MIDI notes. So now I have, for those who don't know what MIDI is, is basically it's a representation like imagine a piano roll so that when she says, child of God, so God might be a G and it will represented as a G and now I put it in a music program and it will play 
a piano of or a clarinet rendition of using her voice as the way it's going to make the music. Did that make sense oh, to totally. you? Oh, totally. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So uh, I'm blown away constantly by uh, music and technology. I've been working with uh, synthesizers now 40 years and electronic music for since the early 80s. Uh, and I'm still constantly blown away by what people can do. Uh, I always think of the music I make as, even though I might work alone, as a collaboration with the brilliant engineers that are out in this universe who do stuff as engineers, and then they become my instruments. They are, they are, you know. You mean software engineers? I'm you talking mean, about it. yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That build these tools that then you use. This is so crazy because we just talked about all this very. Um, old school approach to your listening curation, <laughs> and then you talked about turning Joni Mitchell vocal, pull, creating a stem, yes, which is a very exactly. is currently a bit of a controversial thing now because people are building new types of instruments that have stems already built into them or or software to do what you said, but on an automated way and just yeah. turn the stuff into stems. Um, and so you took Joni Mitchell, <laughs> probably from the sixties. Yeah, uh, well, that song was, came out in nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy. Uh, turn it into a MIDI track and then turn, you know, suck it into an instrument and yeah. and then who owns the song and who gets right. to license yeah. the well, song? You know, I'm not selling it. I'm just doing it for my... my but I'm not talking about you. Oh, oh, I'm more oh, talking right. about yeah, like right. the, the larger picture because we've done a couple episodes on artificial intelligence created music. Yes. And then there's this whole question about is it the engineers or yeah. is it the, right. the people who use the software? And at, where do you draw the line? Because, you know, in your well, case, everything you described... You're still the creator. You own the composition rights That's and so right. forth. But when you get to the point where you select fewer and fewer parameters to make the music, yes, um, we talked on a recent episode with uh, Danny Deal, who's a DJ and a writer at The Verge. She writes about music tech, and she was really um, upset that this AI called Endel had licensed music to Warner Records. Mm. It was AI created. They got 600 uh, songwriting credits. And they're not musicians; they're software guys. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's interesting. We don't know where the line's going to get drawn. Um, and That's uh, the, I mean, this whole—I mean, you're basically—I know you don't cover a lot of DJ hip hop culture right. personally, but you're kind of remixing stuff. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and but it's inspiration is what I where how I see it. And certainly, if I used Joni's voice to make this song, and it was resembled. Woodstock, I would certainly credit the person who inspired it. I mean, that's just decency, right? Great. Um, well, this has been fun. Is there anything else that you're you, you're kind of thinking about in the music technology space in terms of things you're, you're concerned about, things you're excited about? Um, it could be on the music creation side. It could be just, oh, the kids these days. I don't understand how they're <laughs> listening to this stuff. I mean, you don't sound like a kids these days kind of guy. Uh, no, no. I, mean, I, I think anything that is inspiring to a human being that's audio, audio uh, to me, is God bless it, you know. Um, it doesn't mean I have to like it. I can like it. I might like it. But I don't think in that way. It's just silly. Um, Many, many years ago, uh, I was in a theater company. I wrote, composed music for this avant-garde sort of left-wing political theater company called Impossible Theater. And uh, one of our pieces, it was around 1984, so we were imagining 1984, Orwellian 1984 in the future. It was a piece called Utoporama. And I imagined this, um, what I called um, 
what did I call it, escape uh, boxes uh, for the future of listening to music. This was in 1984. An escape box, escape, S-C-A-P-E, not escape, uh-huh. but escape box, like a soundscape that people would walk around uh, with chips that uh, would represent sounds they love and like boom boxes of the day back in 1984 would walk around with soundscapes that would be their personal soundscape that they would blast as they walk down the street. I still imagine that coming. Well, it's probably going to come in the form of social media first <laughs> where um, you see uh, music as emojis, the same way that people are using little figures oh, to express themselves. God, that sounds awful. They'll be, well, not, <laughs> well, wait, who knows? You don't know. I mean, yeah. you might make some. You might make some uh, emojis. You might have your own sounds that you use to express certain things. I see, I see what you mean. I see it could be yeah, a text yeah. message, too. Right, it doesn't right. have to be a social media thing, yes. but it could be like somebody says something instead of sending them a giffy or an emoji, you send right. them a sound. I see. Uh, okay, I don't know. We're enough. making this up, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the wearables thing is also something we've, we're seeing technology come around that. Um, uh, enhances listening by putting vibration in your body, whether it's on That's your wrists yeah, or on your chest. That would be interesting. Pillows, where you can also have speakers and vibration in the pillows as well. I've seen all yeah. this stuff. Wow. It's, it's out there. Getting Kickstarter yeah. campaigns or Indiegogo or whatever. And That's so. great. Well, I love the imagination that's out in this world. So The I sci-fi like stuff is coming true. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can keep it under control. <laughs> I, I'm eager to hear and imagine sound in new ways other than left and right speakers and uh and surround sound that's complicated that you have to have five speakers for and if someone can make uh sound uh more visceral i'm there and if people want to hear your music where can they go so uh two things i do one is um well the main thing i do is this band called danger painters danger painters is the music of me and michael barron michael barron was a guitar player for tiny desk unit we started making music 40 years ago. We've made 13 albums together as Danger Painters. And uh, and so we make an album every year, sometimes two in a year. And so Danger Painters is at Bandcamp. Uh, that's one place. I have it also on my website, which just go to Bob Boylan. And I'll you know, figure out what to do with this covers record because obviously I don't own the rights, so I don't know how I'm going to put that out. But I'm giving it to friends to enjoy. Uh, and yeah, some of my personal music's up on my website too. Fun. And Danger Pictures is also on Spotify and, Bank and uh, Apple, Music. Apple Music. Okay, cool. And of course, All Songs Considered is not hard to find. Tiny yep. Desk Concerts are not hard to find. And actually, believe it or not, Bob Boylan's not that hard to find. You, <laughs> you see him in his hat at South By, a <laughs> DIY musician at concerts and venues in D.C. and every, New York at Global Fest, yes. where we always see you. Oh, my God, yes. This has been, it's been a fun 20 plus years, but it's been a fun conversation. Awesome, man. I love you. I love you too, man. (laughs) And thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe so that you know when we put out episodes. Come to musictectonics.com where you can sign up to our newsletter and find out about original blog posts and also find out about the conference we're doing in Los Angeles, October 28th and 29th, 2019. And if you sign up for the newsletter, you get a $50 discount on the badge. Keep listening. Thanks so much. You're listening to Music Tectonics.